Hey guys, I'm Esther, owner of Sarah Design. And I'm Jen, owner of Hello June Creative. Welcome to Better, the brand designer podcast. We're all about broadcasting conversations that support our design community and covering industry secrets and offering actionable advice. Just remember, the only designer you need to be better than is the one you were yesterday. Hi guys, welcome back to Better, the brand designer podcast. I'm so excited to be here with you on this lovely Tuesday. Today, unfortunately, Jen is not going to be with us and she sends her hellos. But today I'm going to be joined by Alejandra McPherson, and I'm so excited to introduce you to her. Before we jump into our conversation about identity crises and living in this middle ground between different cultures, which is going to be such a juicy topic, I wanted to remind everybody that we do have a Facebook community that you can join. It's completely free. We have a lot, a lot of different brand and website designers that are in there who would love to connect with you. And it's a really great place to get questions answered. Jen and I are in there and we love chatting and hearing what's going on with you and your business. So please join us. It's really fun. And I just had somebody who reached out to me and asked about like, can I share all my branding concepts with you? And I was like, yeah, you should. I love that. So please join. We would love to have you there. And then also, if you would like some access to a little bit more, please join us on Patreon. That's where you can support us. Everything goes to help running the podcast, keeping things coming weekly, and you can get cool things like we have quarterly calls with our patrons. So things like that, lots of other merch coming through. So we would love to have you there and have you support us if you feel so inclined to. And then a really easy way that you can support the podcast is just to rate and review it on iTunes. People get their podcasts by looking at reviews and making sure that it's something that they want to listen to. So if you love us, please give us a five-star review. And if you hate us, just you can skip through and don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Alejandra and I are going to answer an intro question together. Are you ready? Yeah, totally. Okay. So if you had to describe how you're feeling right now as a weather pattern, what's your forecast? (laughs) Do you want to go first? Sure. I can. Uh, I feel like this week has been pretty sunny, actually, for me. I feel like I'm in a great place. I'm really happy. I mean, there's little clouds here and there. Like, I don't know. I just feel like sometimes I get bogged down by all the to-do lists and then I'm like, oh, I just need the sun to come back out and like feel energized. But it's early this morning and I feel like it's going to be a sunshine day. Yesterday was really sunshiny. I got through a whole branding presentation And I was super happy with how it turned out. Well, that's nice. I feel like having a two-year-old, like it's always partly sunny with scattered sun, you know, storms. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I totally see that. Yeah, because I mean, you just never know when things are going to go terribly wrong. Like, you know, they can get sick, they can have a tantrum or like something happened family-wise and then your to-do list became, you know, like twice as large and you have way less time. So I just think that, yeah, that's my constant kind of weather forecast. But she is the sun still. So like when, yeah, she's, she really when she's happy, she's so yeah. cute. Yeah. Her name is Zara, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she's so cute. All the yeah. pictures and like her room being yellow too. I'm like, okay, you've got the sunshine <laughs> in around. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited to chat with you today. Me too. Thanks for having me. Yeah. 
We have so much to talk about, you guys. Before we got, before we started recording, we we just started talking, and I was like, wait, 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 we need to like <laughs> press record because this is such juicy content. Yeah, I'm super excited as well. I don't know about you guys, but Jen and I are seriously self-proclaimed course junkies, and we are super excited to tell you about a brand new course called Shopify Codex. It's a first-of-its-kind Shopify process and development course created by one of our favorite people in the world, Leia Gucciardi from Arc Design Studio. Keep listening because we have an exclusive listener discount for you. So we know that you guys always want to serve your clients the best that you can because me and Esther feel the exact same way. And with e-commerce development, particularly in Shopify, I feel like it's such an in-demand service and they tend to sell for higher ticket prices as well. But do you guys feel like there's such a huge learning curve on Shopify? Because I know I do. And I will be the first one to admit that I have struggled with feeling super limited and boxed in Shopify themes. And I know that I am not the only one who feels this way. Maybe you also don't know how to price or confidently deliver a high-end client experience when you're learning a brand new platform and it feels a little uncomfortable. Totally. And that's why we are so, so excited about Shopify Codex. I have personally seen inside the course and you guys... Leia has gone above and beyond to create a resource that is chock full of so much knowledge that will honestly blow your mind. The course will teach you how to use Shopify's programming language, which is called Liquid, and that will propel your coding skills and help you design beyond the limitations of Shopify's pre-made themes. It also has a massive wiki of resources that over-delivers on video trainings on coding skills, templates, how to scope, price sites, book high-ticket clients, and break beyond the cookie-cutter templates. People who have gone through Leia's program have said that more than just being able to book higher ticket projects, which is super nice, they have left with so much confidence in offering a high level, super customizable Shopify experience for their clients. They've also been able to make back the investment, which is insane, of the course by just selling one Shopify VIP day, which of course Leia teaches from process to pricing to pitching to your clients. I'm gonna be in the course too, so join me in stepping into this new world of Shopify. There is so much to learn and Leia does such a good job of teaching us. And I am so ready to ditch cookie cutter templates and stop boxing in my web design dreams without that burnout of learning it all on my own and just being thrown into the fire. I'm so glad that I get a helping hand and all of you guys. So seriously, you do not want to miss out on this. Head over to shopifycodex.com slash better and use the code better at checkout to get $300 off. I'll see you guys in there. Okay, Alejandra is the strategist and designer behind Ali Now Design. She specializes in creating brands with humanity, emotion, and storytelling because she believes business is super personal. Alejandra is Peruvian and migrated to the United States when she was 18. She believes that this fact has made her identity issues even harder living between two spaces. Not fully belonging to either world has made her feel like she needs to fit in or choose one, when in reality, she's learned it's a matter of celebrating her own uniqueness and finding ways to live her own way. We are so excited to have you here and I want to hear about your experience, that identity crisis, and how it's impacted the way that you create your brands and all of that. So welcome. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So whew, like I was telling you, it's like really hard to know where to start. But I guess um, I will go to back to like when I was 18, uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, you know, with my future in general. And... Thank God I had a 
awesome family. Um, you know, it was like seven of us and they were all adults. <laughs> I was the only child. And so one of the things that they kind of pushed on me was like, you know, be the best you can be at anything that, you know, you like. So if you want to be an ice cream seller, be the best ice cream seller ever. So um, with that mindset, um, I was really good at sports back then, like when I was, since I was little, since seven. And they really, you know, I loved it. I loved sports in general. And I was really creative too. And by the time that I was 13, I was like traveling all over with the national team. Like it was so cool. And I thought, I mean, we thought I was going to go to the Olympics for sure. And then I was like, well, by the time that I was 16, I was like, yeah, this isn't happening. And I've put so much time into this sport. Like, how can I make the best out of it? But because I had all this like worldview, you know, like traveling all over, I knew what I wanted very early on. So I started applying to schools in the States and I um, got in with a full scholarship to Delta State in Mississippi, which is middle of nowhere, literally. Like there's only one Walmart. And it was great because then you really got to focus in like school and swimming. And so that's how I started my fine arts um, degree and graduated there. And it was a lovely school. I mean, we had only like 15 students per class. So you really got to like learn and teachers really, you know, got to know you. And I loved it there. It was awesome. So that's kind of how I started, you know, that was like my first open to like being not in Peru anymore and like just soaking up all this new culture with my broken English. (laughs) But um, yeah, so that's kind of how it started. After that, I think, I don't know, I I struggled a lot about thinking about if I should go back to Peru and like what to do. Um, But, you know, I ended up you know, back in Mississippi now, many years afterwards. Yeah, that is so interesting. Like having that, the traveling experience when you're so little and being around adults. I'm curious how your parents reacted when you decided to move to Mississippi. They hated it. They they hated it. (laughs) I mean, I'm an only child and it was really, and I was really close to my family. And, you know, I had to decide to just, you know, do what was best for me. And I knew I wanted more, you know, back home, there wasn't any schools that had the fine arts degree for four years. There were only like institutes. So you only got a couple of years to, to do that. And, you know, you're, when you're younger, you're so exposed to all these movies about like college life and football parties and dorms and like cheerleaders and all that stuff that you you're like to school in the middle of nowhere and you're like yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you still get that you know I still lived in dorms and I got the whole college experience that I wanted on top of a fine arts degree that was four years where you know I got to be able to do like photography and like you know ceramics and like I mean everything because you're really exposed to the whole brand of our core, right? So it was great. But yeah, mama hated it. And in fact, every summer that I would go back home, she would find ways to try and keep me. Like (laughs) she would be like, so this is kind of interesting because it's also how I got into um, having more of a design background. But mama was a teacher in a, you know, very liberal school, like arts inclined school. And one of her students was the daughter of 
the art director of one of the biggest agencies in Peru of like marketing and design. And she got me an interview to go as an intern. Like she literally talked to him and said, I don't care. She can work for free. <laughs> like, oh just show, yeah. she said, show she's her. like, she is going to live in Peru. Yeah. Like, she's like, show her that it could be awesome to live here in Peru and do what she loves. Like, cause I know it can. So did you go to that interview? Yeah, I did. I got in. Yeah. So it was amazing. It was the best experience ever. Of course, I look back and I'm like so embarrassed because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Like I was- but that's just, internships at all. Yeah, no, like, no, no. Like I was sophomore year. Like I wasn't even mm-hmm. senior year. So I only had like maybe one class in design. So I had no idea what I was doing, but it was such a good exposure. And I actually like networked. So the my last year, which I had had some hours of internship to graduate, I went back there. So it was it was an awesome experience. But yeah, it's a story for another time. <laughs> that is so funny. She definitely was like trying everything she could to get you oh, to stay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she. I feel like she's still, you know, they still live there. So yeah, she's always going to be hopeful. <laughs> it's hard having family who lives in a different area. And especially not even just like across the country, across the US where you kind of have a similar culture, but like, to be in a different space. I know in Chinese culture, it's really common for families to live with their grandparents. So to not have that for me is like, oh, like I missed out on so much too. Like Zara doesn't have the chance to live with her her mom. Is is that common in, in Peruvian culture too, to live with your grandparents or no? Yeah. So I did, you know, like, um, I don't know if you've seen Encanto from the last yeah. yeah. So it's pretty much like that. That's amazing. So I was born in a time terrorism was a big thing back home, like in 89. Well, I was born in 92, but 89 was really bad for terrorism. And my grandparents asked my mom to move in so they could be like, you know, close because there was a, a bunch of car bombs and things like that going on, like really scary stuff. So she did, she moved and I was born in a house full of adults, like I was telling you. So... We never left. <laughs> we just stayed there my whole life. So it was interesting. And none of them really were creatives, surprisingly. Like very traditional career paths, you know, lawyers and um, accountants, teachers, managers. But mom was the only one that was very much creative. Like, you know, she put that little seed on me very early on. Mm-hmm. So it's really like that, like you said, growing up with grandparents. How do you feel when you go back to like kind of step back into that world? Because you've been here for how long now? Eight years? Ten years? Yeah, well, since 2011 that I came freshman year. And then, so it's funny you said that because we actually lived two years in Peru recently because... So I met my husband in in, um, in New York. I was living, I was in Oklahoma. And he was living in New Orleans, and we wanted this big, big wedding, and we've been planning it for like I don't know so many months. And it was like three hundred people or something. And while we were doing that, I had gone with my immigration process, which is a pain. Anybody that goes through that knows what I'm talking about. And anyway, so a few days before we moved, you know, we went to Peru to have the the wedding. My paperwork wasn't coming. And even though we were assured by lawyers that he would come. So I had to make the hard decision of canceling the wedding with like 300 plus people and 20 uh, Americans already tickets bought and everything, 
or going and risking restarting immigration process. So we made the hard decision to go anyway. And I wasn't able to come back, you know, because I had to restart immigration back home. And it was really, really hard. Like, it was just scary. Um, so Evan came back and then he was like, yeah, this is dumb. Like, I, I didn't just marry you to for us to live apart, you know, for that long. So he like pretty much dropped everything, got our 401ks and moved to Peru with me. And we were going to wait for the paperwork while backpacking all over the world. We thought it was it would be so much fun. Like he always wanted to leave abroad. And, you know, we were able to because we had some savings. And so it sounded so amazing. And three months after that, I get pregnant. <laughs> so that plan goes down. Yeah. So I'm pregnant. And we did travel like the first six months. But the first year, I mean, we were... It was awesome because my parents were able to be there with me when my baby was born. But we lived with them for a year. And then after a year... We got my interview to go to the embassy and it was so awesome. We were so happy. We had the baby, you know, everything was going well. And then two days before I got my interview, COVID hits. So then we're all in lockdown another mm-hmm. year. Yeah. So that, and within those two years, I mean, with COVID lockdowns and just being stuck at home, that's when I started my company. <laughs> it was the perfect timing. It's so interesting that because I think so many people did that. A lot of people were like, well, what do I do now with my life? I'm stuck at home. What can I do online? Yeah. And to me, like I had never stopped doing it. So like even like after school, like I always freelanced and I was like, well, I'm just going to keep freelancing. And then I realized, well, why don't I just live out of this? Like I think with COVID, a lot of people started thinking about their life and what they wanted out of life. And I think to me, it was a realization that I want to be with my daughter, you know, like family matters. Like I want to have time for her and flexibility. And I'm able to, because I have this amazing, you know, passion that I can turn into actually a job and I'm already doing it. So might as well just formalize it and create an LLC. That's what, yeah. that's what my head was. Well, that's exactly for me too. I know we've talked about this before, but like I was always freelancing on the side of my jobs too. And then I was like, well, it was also during COVID. Mm-hmm. It was like halfway through COVID that I was like, I can do this. I can yep. try. Yep. I am curious what your family thought of like you starting business. Just because I know like for me in Asian culture, it's like, no, you just like do, you work hard. I like being good, I'm kind of similar to what you had said before, like be good at what you're doing, but it's like be good at what you're doing in a corporate setting. Yeah. And then yeah. you're gonna be great. So when I decided to start my own business, they were like, Are you sure? Like you're not gonna make a lot of money. And I was like, watch me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's always hesitations, right? Like, well, first of all, my parents are not entrepreneurs. So they they have always been in this like corporate setting, right? And I was in the corporate setting. So my first job out of out of school was Hobby Lobby headquarters, which was a big thing for me because I mean, they have 700 and something stores across the states. Like it was legit awesome. And um I didn't like it. I mean, I love the camaraderie and I love being able to be so exposed to like all this creative thought because there were a hundred and plus designers in that place. And I love learning because they do really good. Um, they do a really good job at like teaching you the very basics of everything. Like you know, you're a very well well versed designer. But then it feels like in those corporate jobs, like 
you have to go into management. Like that's, that's your, you know, like everything is being groomed for you to go into management, like our director or team leader. And so I didn't want to do that. I want to, I wanted to keep designing. So to me, corporate jobs were, they were great. There's nice security and stuff, but like very much, um, it just, it wasn't for me. So yeah, for my parents, it was uh, the beginning was like, well, are you sure? And I think they were a little bit more okay with it because Evan had a corporate job, you know, my husband. Mm. So they knew like, she's going to be okay, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, yeah. He, she has support and everything. So she'll be fine. And on top of that, like my mom's sister was an entrepreneur. Like she, she was a lawyer and become a, a notary, which... I don't think in the States works a little bit different, but so she had her own business and uh, she has done very well for herself. So I think it wasn't that far-fetched for them. That is really cool. It's, it's helpful to have other people in the family who do it as well. Cause then it's not like you're the only one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's different because I mean, being a lawyer is completely different, right. Than creative and there's uh, no, much- no, just kidding. Yeah. Well, like, um, she didn't have like a, her lawyer studio. It was like a notary. So uh, back home, notaries are like, I think supported by like a college of lawyers and stuff. So they have, you know, this is where you, the, the zone you're going to be working on. Like, I don't know. It's a little bit more structured than just like, here's your LLC. Try to figure out how to make money, you know? <laughs> like it's, that's a little more scary, but yeah, so far they've been super supportive. That's really good. And how do they visit you guys often? Uh, yeah, way too often. <laughs> no, I, thank God my mom can understand very much English. But um, yeah, she was here last December and she stayed for a month. And yeah, it was lovely to have her home because, you know, Sarah's birthday is really close to Christmas. So they were able to, and my birthday is in January. So they were able to spend Sarah's birthday, uh, Christmas, New Year's and my birthday all together. It was really awesome. That's really cool. It's nice to have her there. I'm curious how being living in this like in between. So you have your family who's in Peru and then you live in the United States. How has that worked with like client work? Have you, because I know you worked in that agency in Peru for a little bit, do you have more clients who are Peruvian or Spanish speaking, or do you have a little bit of both? Yeah. So I never meant to have Peruvian clients. It kind of happened organically while we, I was in, you know, we were in COVID in Peru and, um, I needed work, right. Because our 401ks were like, you know, drying up and, um, we couldn't really get a job there because we didn't know when we're going to leave. So all I had to do was freelance work. So I started networking and had a couple of clients in Peru and then and some in America still, because I had like Instagram and thank God for like, you know, being able to do this virtually. And so then little by little, like, word by, you know, like people started talking and I got some referrals. And so right now it's about 50 50, but like a year ago, it was like 80 20. <laughs> like I had 80% of my clients were Peruvian, which allowed me to rethink things. Cause I was like, you know, I was still charging in dollars. Like I wasn't, cause I was living in the States. I was like, I can't have two prices, you know, depending on where I'm living. Like if I'm living in the state and I, I need to be able to charge accordingly. And people were still very much okay with doing that, even though the rate 
from dollars to solace is like four to one. Wow. Yeah. So it was interesting. And, and a lot of my clients from Peru were coming to me to make their brands more global. So they wanted for their brands to feel not just Peruvian, but like, you know, more um, West inspired kind of thing. Mm-hmm. When you do those, when you say more global, are you, are they interested in having still like Peruvian ties to it or they want it to feel like completely more Western? It kind of depends. I think um, to me, like the brands I work with are not very like Peruvian inspired. They're, um, I would say they're more like Western and that's the way I've positioned myself because my branding isn't, you know, very much Peruvian inspired. But what I've been able to do is listen to what they feel. It's like their own identity and incorporate that to their branding without necessarily having to feel like it's Peruvian or not. So just like who they are and where they want to go and bringing that into their branding, which is very much what I have done with my own brand. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I see that with your branding. It's definitely, you don't have like the cultural aspect to it and that's just not what you want and that's totally fine and like i'm not that's another thing too is like i you know you feel so much guilt because like you're here and people when you're i guess when you're not from here people expect you to have those very strong ties to where you're from but like that's not the case for everyone you know i felt very out of fish when i was in peru like I don't even like the color red and that's the color of the flag, you know, like things like that. And, and my house is pretty much a monochrome of like light colors. And I grew up in a very city oriented and now I live in the middle of nowhere, you know, like with crops right in front of me, which I absolutely love. So I do think that to me, your identity doesn't have to be tied to the place where you're born. You know, you can pick the best things out of that and incorporating into who you are and what you want out of life and be that be reflected in your own branding. Totally. Do you feel when you work with clients, there's a different way that you approach clients who are Peruvian versus clients who are from the US or from other cultures? Well, the first thing is language, right? I have um, you know, been able to like my services are translated to both. So if I have to adapt presentations and all that stuff, I will. But, you know, it's not that different. Like, I think that once you, and and again, like with every client, every client has his own set of like values, things that they think, you know, and want out of life. And so I think my approach to all of them is like, listen to what they want and craft a brand that is going to align with their vision of life. And to me, that's like what's going to set you for success. Like just listen more than anything. And I think you will find out that a lot of us want the same things, you know, like we want flexibility in work. We want to be there for our families. We want to be able to provide for our kids. We want better opportunities. We want to be successful in life. I mean, a lot of these things repeat quite often, no matter where you're from. Yeah, that is so true. I mean, that's, I think, an important thing to know is that humans are humans across the board, no matter if you're from Peru or if you're from middle of nowhere, Mississippi, or, or you're here from China. Like, we all have this desire to, like, create things, especially in our field and in, 
the industries that we work with, it's like entrepreneurs who want to make something bigger. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter. I think also like, you know, globalization and everything, we're all so exposed to like, you know, the whole world, then, you know, it's not weird for me to get clients that are giving me reference from like France, Italy, Europe, and like Spain and United States. And like, it's really weird for me to get a brand, like a, a client that it's like, I want the thing that my competitor right here next door is doing. Like, it's mm-hmm. not that, yeah, I don't get those type of clients, right? At least. Yeah, that is so true. I mean, with social media too, it's everything everywhere is competing. Yeah. So it doesn't matter where you are. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to go back and talk about like having things in different languages because that is such an interesting way to approach your business. I mean, I know like I work with a lot of different cultures as well, but I don't have two different languages. How did that impact how you interact with your clients? Um, was, is that difficult to like constantly be translating everything? Uh, yeah, (laughs) it's very (laughs) difficult. Um, so at at the beginning, you know, it's like template based, right? So I have my, my backup templates and I have everything in notion, like client portals and stuff, which I absolutely adore. Like I'm not an Asana girl. I can't do that. Um, so Notion allows you to repeat client portals and like change words. So I have everything templates for my client portals in both languages and things like that. What it's really challenging, it's marketing because, I mean, we're only one person. Like in my case, at least I'm only one person and it's hard to find good copywriters in both languages. So like finding someone that it, it's like, Spanish-speaking, English-speaking, like you, they're going to prefer one or the other most of the time. Um, so a lot of the copy I have to do myself and like the social media captions, like having two accounts is impossible. So I incorporate a lot of a Spanglish, especially with the brands I work to as well, because most people in Peru do speak English and my target audience specifically does speak English, even though they might not be like fluently, like, but they understand a lot more. That's such an interesting target audience to have, like, basically the people who are similar to you, who kind of live in this middle ground. They speak English and they speak Spanish. And even I would imagine people who are in the US, your target is also that like middle ground people who live here, but maybe have ties to some other Spanish-speaking country. That is so interesting because actually, and yeah, I would love to tap into that audience, but I don't get many Hispanic clients in America. They're actually very, very much American because I live in Mississippi. So I have clients from like New Orleans and like Hammond and like, you know, surrounding areas right now. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely something. So because this happened organically and I wasn't like meant to like position myself as like, bilingual. Um, and this happened a lot with the identity crisis I was, you know, having, uh, for a long time too. I was like, well, and this is the, my mind, the mindset I had, right? Like if I have this Spanish thing and then I have clients are from Peru, are people going to think that I'm not good with American clients? You know, mm-hmm. like, are they going to think that because I don't, my base language isn't English, are they going to think that I'm going to do a good job? And so I like really question myself 
a lot in that area. So I was like all doing all English because I felt like that was the way to go. And then I realized, no, like this is actually a strength to be able to think in both languages and, you know, be very much open-minded about cultural background and stuff. Like, I think it's actually a good thing. So yeah, that's kind of how I got there. But it was, it, it took me a little bit to understand that, like it took therapy and outsider perspective to be like, no, this is actually a strength of mine. Yeah. Can you talk more about that identity crisis? Yeah, for sure. So I have many, not just like, so migrating from Peru and to the States really like, it messed things up with me a bit. First of all, because, you know, you're changing language completely. So it's not just that you're being exposed to like different people and different cultures, but you're also changing completely the way that you speak, right? On top of that, my name back home, it's really hard to pronounce for Americans. So my, they used to call me Mariale back home. And that's like, a, you know, single R, really hard to pronounce. And so they started calling me Maria when I, I wasn't in college, which I hated. I mean, like I totally... That's literally not your name at all. Yeah, that's not my <laughs> name at all. Like my second, like it's, my name is Maria Alejandra, right? And so... So then I asked my coach, I said, could you call me at least Alejandra? And he was like, there's no way. Like, do you imagine myself screaming across the pool, Alejandra? Like, it's way too long. It has to be Maria. <laughs> so he got set on that. But then in art school, they're very much, they're very conscious about calling you by a name that you like. So, you know, I asked to be called Alejandra. So in college, people call me Maria, Alejandra, depending on if he was like an art person or a swimmer. And then my family called me still Mariale, which was like my nickname. And so I was called by three different names, you know, at the same time. And so that on top of, you know, moving across continents, like it it really messed me up. (laughs) Like even my husband now calls me Alejandra and now my parents are sent to call me Alejandra. But my last birthday, we were singing happy birthday and we, you literally heard three different names. <laughs> like that's how bad it went. So yeah, I, I've, I've been dealing with that quite a bit and like, you know, not really feeling much Peruvian, not really feeling much American, just kind of be being in this middle, like they call it the, you know, the hyphen. And especially because it's not like I even feel represented. I feel more represented with being Latino than I will be f- with being Peruvian. And I don't know if that makes much sense, but like it's complicated (laughs) and it's being complicated rebranding with that too. Yeah. It's so interesting to have three different, three different names. I'm actually like for the professor who said, no, I'm not going to call you Alejandra. I'm like, what? Well, it's my coach. It's my swim coach. coach. Yeah. He couldn't do it because he was like such a long name and you have to like scream from far, you know? And if you can say it, it's just like really hard. So yeah. But yeah. then I guess that's still another, that's still a whole other name too. Yeah. And you're talking about like people that have really Southern accents, you know, this is like Mississippi, like the Delta. Like, so it, it, it's really hard for yeah. them to pronounce. What's your maiden name? So my full name is Maria Alejandra Torres Perez. So it's like four names, which they're all really hard to pronounce. And now I'm going by Alejandra McPherson. Mm-hmm. which is my husband's last name. So yeah, so my name has completely changed, you know, from... Yeah, I mean, that has to be hard to... Because 
like you said, living in that hyphen, trying to figure out exactly where you fit in. I know for me, like I never feel fully Chinese. I never feel fully American. And when I'm in China, I'm not Chinese. And when I'm here, I'm not really white. It's so strange. Yeah. And to have like your names, I totally can see where you would have that identity crisis. Yeah. Which it's funny because now as Alejandro McPherson is the most I feel like myself, which is weird because they're both names that I have adopted. And I've talked to my husband about changing my name as well, like legally, you know, which also comes with, again, like, I don't want my family to feel bad about it, but it's really Mm -hmm. like, and when I talked to my therapist about it, it was like, this is the life that you have forged, you know, like you have designed your life to fit what you love. And so it makes sense that you adopt the name that you feel the most represents you. I think that's super important for you to go into like having that mindset because it'll free up your heart to feel like, okay, I now get to live who I am. And at the same time, like, yes, you do have these like families who have their own opinions on it. But at the end of the day, it's not their life, right? Like they're not the ones who moved across the world to come to the United States and had to like live in this middle ground. And so you have such a different story than them anyway. So if they feel offended, it will go away because then they'll eventually realize, oh, this is actually who she's become. Yeah. It's not an angstiness. It's not like we hate you. It's just like, this is what makes me feel like me. Yeah. And I've noticed that, you know, they see me so happy and that it nothing else matters, you know, right. like to them, they're just so proud. And I mean, it's horrible talking to my parents. Like, and even going back to my house, like you could see all the photos of my whole life career kind of thing in this <laughs> whole aisle. It was really embarrassing. Like when I came back and I live with them, I said, we're taking all this down. Like I can't have these shame wall <laughs> my whole life but they love it yeah but love you. no and you're an only child too so it's all you yeah yeah well now my daughter it's you know it's all about my daughter now but yeah yeah you're like okay you can put up pictures of her just get rid of the ones of me <laughs> yeah that's what that's what I it's like even like I wish it was just like pictures when I was little but it's like my awkward teenage stages oh. as well yeah it's horrible it was horrible. It's down now. Thank My God. parents have that too. And I'm, well, they don't have it on the walls, but they have pictures. And I'm like, ugh. Yeah. Gross. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I look like a boy for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So when you rebranded, you used it's now Ale Now Design. So, yeah, I haven't launched it yet. So, I rebranded a couple of, I didn't rebrand it. I launched it. So when I launched it, I have the same kind of, you know, um, look than I did when I launched it. And I've been working on the rebranding for months now. It's not launched yet. And I hope it will be launched this year, crossing my fingers. It's just a lot of work because I am in the process of translating all my copy and doing my website in both languages, which is, you know, the most I have. Yeah done to incorporate both cultures. Cause I do think um, I've positioned myself now where, you know, it's, I'm bilingual, like I'm a bilingual business, which has been really tricky because there's not a lot of resources for how to do that successfully as a solo entrepreneur. Like 
I mean, big companies like Coca-Cola, they can do that because they have marketing teams in both places, you know, like all different like countries and stuff. But like when you're a sole entrepreneur, you can't divide yourself that much. So it has been tough. And it's not as easy as like clicking a toggle to switch the language. Oh, no. The Google Translator sucks, man. It's horrible. Like you have no idea how many times I've posted something that translates on Facebook and mama would call me and be like, what are you saying? This is like ridiculous. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, that's Google. Yeah. You're like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Trust me. I'm not saying anything ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It makes no sense. And being in a creative industry too, you want to like showcase how you use words in like really unique ways. So of course, Google's not going to pick that up. Yeah. I mean, the metaphors don't work well, you know, like, Funny copy doesn't, sarcasm doesn't translate. So, and I have all of those. <laughs> I, I can be very sarcastic. And so I feel like I have to put the effort to translate everything um, marketing wise to be able to connect with my audience even closer, right? Because they can read English, but it's not the same. Like, right. It, it's like it doesn't quite translate well. It's yeah. Like, well, I don't know what I need if I'm reading something that doesn't really make sense to me, doesn't connect well. Yeah. I know on your current website, in your current branding, you talk about like working when you're creating designs for clients, you use the term living brand. Mm -hmm. I want to like hear from you what that means. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know if this is something that I've made up. Like my husband would probably call it an Alejandrism which is like made up stuff. But to me- it is, I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So to me, creating a living brand, it's creating a brand that can be loved. You know, a brand that feels very much human, that feels, um, that is not perfect because we are imperfect, that evolves with time, that it's allowed to make mistakes and, you know, stand up for, you know, their mistakes and correct them. A brand that has amazing company culture because it's base, it's very much human and kind. And, you know, a brand that uses emotion and a storytelling to really connect with their audience in a way that it's not just like, you know, I'm this big building with all these people and everything. It's very much but like, you know, like, mm. um, so that's like what's very funny. personal. Yeah. So this is a, a, an approach that I feel like it works very well with creators. And to me, creators, you know, are, you know, bloggers and designers and music artists, um, everyone that feels like part of who they are, it's part of their brand. You know, like some people call it personal branding. To me, that's huge. And I think a lot of big companies are trying to now humanize their own brands to be able to appeal, you know, to, to a generation that, that really values that. I think that this term, your Alejandroism, I love it. I think that this term is like, it's huge because especially now we're realizing that in order to connect with anybody, you have to like feel like them. You have to feel like you're their friend and they want to be part of this world as opposed to just like selling them something and trying to get money from them. So having this brand that feels like human, that has emotion, that has I mean, even sarcasm or humor or whatever that is for the specific business, it's like so important to be able to feel like I'm going to be drawn into it. Yeah, 
And if think about it, I mean, humans connect with other humans. They don't connect to like things that don't have life. I mean, they might have feelings, but it's not mutual. So it's only when it's mutual that you have a connection that it's as powerful as love, as attraction, you know? And so when you make your brand feel like a person, you're doing a good job because you are creating the possibility of your audience connection being like incredibly powerful. That's how people create loyalty and keep coming back to these brands. Yeah. When you were describing the term too, I was like, I just want to give whoever this brand is a big hug. Like I want to feel like I'm part of the family. I want to feel like it's just a whole world full of people that I love and brands that I love because they're connected to people. Yeah. Yeah. I So this is funny. I had a a brand therapy yesterday. I call it brand therapy, but it's pretty much a strategy workshop too. Some people call it differently, but um, I was talking to this client and I was trying to explain, we're talking about positioning and a strategy. And I said, you know, this girl, this blogger, McKenna, and she was like, oh my God, I love her so much. I am obsessed with her and her channel and stuff. And she just kept going on. Like she knew this, this blogger, which, you know, YouTuber and stuff. And me, I follow her as well. And I watch her every Sunday her videos coming up and I'm like, oh my God, right? Did you see the dining? It's like we were talking about a common friend and that's just the power of good branding. You know, when you're able to connect with your audience so well that they feel like they know you, like this is golden. Like that's the way to go about it with personal branding for me. Yeah. I think about that with so many different brands. I mean, like right now I'm obsessed with like travel brands in like suitcases. Like not just like travel bloggers or whatever, but like suitcases. Like Shay Mitchell has a suitcase brand and I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, I heard like, you last episode. Yeah. Okay. So like, <laughs> it, I feel like I'm like, oh, I got to like watch what Shay's doing. It's not just like this brand itself. It's like, oh, what is she like creating? Yeah. And there's so many examples. I mean, you see, you know, Mag- Magnolia, the Magnolia brand. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, and then... They do a really good job at that, uh, being able to, you know, incorporate like all these humans aspects. They have a magazine, a TV show, you know, books and, and anything that they will come up, people will buy because they're fans of the brand. And so that's just like shows a little bit of like how powerful that is. And then I think of on the other side too, like for us, like you and me are designer brands like, do people feel connected to it and how can they feel even more connected, right? Like, I think with you rebranding and telling your story and sharing like this, even with our listeners here, it's like opening up to like being more of a living brand too, but it's hard when you're selling services. Yeah. So something that I have noticed, which is really interesting, like I started and and you have to, you have to put your limits, right? Because you have to understand how much you want to share of your own life in general. Like we are, like I'm not an influencer or anything. So I I do have to kind of like, there's some lines that I don't cross, right? But something that helps me a lot is to think about like, okay, it's my target audience into this. Like Mm -hmm. for example, I just bought a new house like a year ago and I work with a lot of interior designers and stuff. So like, showing some behind the scenes of my house just makes sense, right? Like I love working with 
um, entrepreneurs. I totally, you know, I have a, that connection because I'm a mom of a young, you know, of a toddler. And so kids brandings is something that I definitely want to, and I'm totally manifesting here, but I definitely want to work with them. And Maybe so some showing, listener is like, right, please. <laughs> but, um, so sharing the, behind the life with a toddler makes sense for my own branding. So that's the way that I have incorporated like a little bit of like that aspect of how to make a brand live and not just like, you know, this is my services, this is my portfolio. Because yeah, our portfolio is a big part of it. Our style is a big part of it. But I think you're going to get the client when you have more bridges than one. When yeah. you establish that connection of like, hey, we follow the same YouTuber or hey, I love your home. I mm. want to work with you because you are cool. You know, like things like that. Yeah, it's so interesting because everybody has different things that they are passionate about. I know for me, like my business, I I particularly want to work with people who are of different cultures or who are making a difference in the world in, in different ways. I care a lot about sustainability. Um, I've talked a lot about my plants. Like those are things that I share. And also like I cook a lot of Chinese food. I like to share that too. But it's also still hard to like figure out what is going to resonate with other people as well. Yeah. And you be surprised by the things that people resonate with. Like, and I think that's when you did get to the side, like, you know, to me that that's where authenticity comes in part. Like, you know, don't share anything that you don't really believe in because then, then they're going to call your bull crap. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like if you think you're, if you say, oh yeah, I'm a fan of this. And then somebody says, oh my God, me too. And this is this, and you can't really support that. You're going to be like, you know, looking silly. So make sure that if you are bringing a lot of your personal passions and things that you care about, that they're things that actually you do care about. Right. You can't just put everything into the world. Yeah. 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 There's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack with like creating brands that like really feel like you and really telling your story in a way that's like super impactful, especially like being multicultural, living in that hyphen and trying to tell that side too. It's, it's, there's a lot there. Yeah. And I think that there's not like a right or wrong way. Like you just have to design it in a way that feels right and good to you, you know, like, and something that I work with my clients a lot, it's like, okay, it's not just who you are now, but who you want to be as well. So like, what's your vision in life? Because if you're going to create a brand that you want it to last 10 years or so, what are those 10 years look like in your life as well? Because if you're setting yourself to be this one solopreneur that is all the time busy, not having really good work schedule, but you do want to have a family, a good family life where you have time for them. I mean, those don't quite align, right? right? So that I, I feel like that's why important to, that's why it's super important to do brand strategy to really get a good positioning, a good route where brand design really is going to be long lasting. Yeah, I totally agree. You need that good foundation there. I think another thing that you had said earlier that I think is important to bring back is that it's okay to like make mistakes in your journey as a business owner and where your brand lives. Like you want to have legs to be able to like grow up. And in that growing up, you're going to find things that don't quite resonate and that you're going to have to snip off and like that you keep going. But making mistakes is totally normal and part of the whole process. Yeah. And I think that 
a lot of people look like they have things figured out, but in fact, no one does. <laughs> like, no, they're, we're all figuring out. Like, there's not like a, the entrepreneur, I've noticed the entrepreneurial journey is very much your own. And like, you just kind of have to carve it step by step. If you can see the route, then you're not doing anything different and new. Right. right. Like innovation, it's like carving the route. So it's like, it's so interesting. Cause you even like, I mean, I've fallen into this trying to find like podcasters who have all, it all together, who like know entrepreneurship and can tell me exactly how to make the money that I want to make and hit the clients. But there's nobody like that because everybody is growing. Yeah. And, and the environment is always changing. I mean, the yeah. environment is always changing. And so the challenges that entrepreneurs had five or 10 years ago are not the same now. And so we can pretend to look for those references and exactly copy their routes of success because it's not the same, you know, it's, it's, it's not comparable. It's like apples and, and bananas. Like it doesn't, you know, you just have to be super brave. I feel like that's the word, be brave. and find the tools that are going to help you, you know, respond to those environments and be really creative with your resources. And I think too, you're right. It's like different circumstances as well. If you, for example, were like eight years ago when you were just working with mostly Peruvian clients, your strategy then is so different than your strategy now where you're trying to figure out this middle ground. Yeah. And brand strategy, I mean... (laughs) And I don't know if I'm just new to it, but it doesn't feel like it's been around that long. Like there's just still a lot of defining, you know, like the label, what it is. A lot, there's just still a lot of confusion between us and in the industry about what entails. And there's a lot of brand designers doing brand strategy that isn't brand strategy. There's more strategic branding, which mm-hmm. is different, you know, like, so I do think that that's a fairly new thing and i and i feel like we have still our work work to do you know teaching and and i'm not going to start teaching anything because i feel like i still have to you know pay my dues and stuff but i feel like there's really good resources out there for anyone that wants to learn what really is but i do think a lot of people offer this without really knowing it and it's scary <laughs> yeah there's a lot in brand strategy <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'm not an expert in it. I definitely do more strategic branding than mm-hmm. brand strategy itself, but yeah. Learning. I didn't take any course or anything, but like my brand strategy is based on like people that have been around for a while, like Simon Sinek and Seth Gothen and like um, Marty Neumeyer and, you know, all these people that know what they're talking about. And so I've kind of, put the stuff that I value into a framework and that I feel like it works really well. And it's been, you know, super successful, but again, like it's so big, it's kind of like a, a completely different thing than brand design, than web. And you have like also strategy for websites too, which is a whole nother beast as well. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot there. This is actually perfect because we have an inbox question for today that ties into this. So if you don't mind, I'd love to 
share that question first and then we can yeah let's jump going. into it so veronica aronos asks do you have to be a brand strategist to be a brand designer no you don't definitely not it, it, first of all like you need different so the things that are required to be a brand designer like the skills are different for brand strategies because for brand strategies you have to be very good at like quick thinking, you know, you have to be intuitive. You have to have a very high emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to read a room. And in my opinion, not every designer has those qualities. And then vice versa as well. Like you can be a great brand strategist and not be a great brand designer. Totally. But I do think that if you are a brand strategy, a brand designer that offers branding, if you don't offer brand strategy, you should like collaborate with somebody that does. Because I do think that brand design without brand strategy, it's not long lasting. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think you have to be a brand strategist at all. But like you said, to have that strategic like person who helps you is super important. For me, I went to school for advertising. And within the advertising school, there are multiple different routes that you can take. So you can become a strategist, you can become an art director, you can become a copywriter or a media strategist. And from that, from the courses that I took, it really shone light onto the fact that like there is literally people who are just strategists. And even when I was working in an agency, there's a whole team of strategists that like, they're not creative at all. I mean, they're creative in creative strategy, but they're not designers. And their whole job is to really understand market and how to position and how to use, like how to speak, how to create messaging. And yes, you still have a copywriter who does more of the messaging, but you start with the bones. So it's really... I think detrimental to say you would have to be a brand strategist to be a brand designer because you're essentially doing two jobs in one. If you are both, that's awesome. And that's such a skill and like leverage that so much, but it's not required and it's by no means like expected either. Yeah. To me, like the relationship, it's very familiar to being a brand designer and a web designer. You know, like, Mm. do you have to be a brand designer to be a web designer? Uh, No. No. And vice versa. Yeah. Your client should have a brand design before you go into a web, right? Because then makes things really freaking hard. And so it's the same thing with brand design and brand strategies. Like, yeah, you can have a brand designer working on branding without strategy, but you know, it's really hard and you're, you're going to have a lot more, how do you say that? Like feedback from client that you're going to have to just say, okay, because you don't have the studies that back up your design decisions. So like, it's so much easier for me to say, Hey, yeah, this font, it's really good because you know, your buyer persona really likes this and it's really appealing to those adjectives we talked about. Then like, if I just say, well, I'll pick this font because it looks really pretty, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think as a brand designer, having that skill set, it's unbelievable great. Yeah, agreed. I also think that there's just, there's too many things to know as a brand designer that you could specialize in like 500 different things. So I guess it's really easy to get overwhelmed, but I say I would say 
to you, Veronica, and also to any of our listeners, like just keep going, like keep learning, keep like absorbing as much as you can absorb some about brand strategy, absorb some about like social media strategy, absorb coding and like whatever you can, but knowing that you don't have to be an expert in everything. Yeah. You're going to continue learning. And you get to choose what you like, right? Like if you, like, how can you decide if you like it or not, if you don't know it? Like, yeah. like I had to learn code and to know I hate this, <laughs> you know, I don't want to, well, I don't want to do websites. I don't want to code. I really hate Shopify. I'm sorry. I just, I hated it. And so, but it took me doing it to be like, this is something I don't want to offer. This is something I want someone else to do it. And I think that in knowing is where you really get to be, to make that decision even with more clarity, right? And, mm-hmm. and clarity is the best thing that we can aim for. Yeah, totally. I hope that answered your question, Veronica. If you guys have more questions about brand strategy or brand design, of course, like join our Facebook group and we'd love to like chat more about it. But I wanted to say thank you so much, Alejandra, for being here. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. It has been such a good conversation. And I know that there's so much more that we can talk about. I mean, we talked about so much about identity crises, about like living in this hyphen about living brands. Do you have more to share? I mean, we can oh, keep going. Yeah. I, could, I could talk for forever, but yeah, I maybe for another episode, but yeah. yeah I think, back. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I feel um, very lucky. I mean, there's just so much and there's not a lot of information out there about you know, how to incorporate this like humanity into design. I mean, there is, but it's like all broken up. Like you have storytelling and you have like, you know, social media practices and all this kind of stuff, but like it really, there isn't enough. And I feel like we still have to do a lot of work um, educating our clients in that mm-hmm. as, as brand designers. You know, I, I do think that it does fall into us to to learn more about it. And, you know, cause I, I think we need more brands that are human. There's a lot of businesses out there that call themselves brands, but there really aren't. And so if we want to see more of that, we have to do the education and we have to teach our clients the best way possible we can. Totally. Do you have any services that you want to plug and share with our listeners? Sure. So I offer obviously brand strategy, brand design, but I also do um, brand strategy white labeling for anyone that is interesting that, you know, like those brand designers that don't really want to do the brand strategy, you know, I do that as well. And I wish I had a website where I had all this laid out, but I don't know if this is going to air by the time that I have it, but you can always reach me on Instagram. I'm always hanging out there. And can you share your handle and your current website with our listeners? Yeah, so my website is um, alanowdesign.com and my um, tag is ale underscore now underscore design. Perfect. And we'll put those in the show notes too so you can connect with her. Alejandra and I met on Instagram, so I know that she is open to like chatting with lots of you guys too. Um, we send voice messages to each other and we send home decor stuff. So it's, it's been great. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you again. We are so excited to share this with our listeners and I'm excited to have you back on the podcast at some point. Me too. Me too. Um, Say hi to Jen from me. I will. All right. 
Bye guys. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Subscribe wherever you're listening to make sure you don't miss an episode. And we'd be forever grateful if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts. We bet you've got designer friends who'd enjoy it too. So share it with them. If you'd like to submit an inbox question for us to answer on air, or you want to get in contact with us directly, email us at inbox at betterbranddesigner.com. Our Facebook community is one of the most positive, supportive, and fun groups we've ever been a part of. We'd love for you to join us. Search for Better the Brand Designer Podcast on Facebook. If you love these conversations between designer friends and would like to support us, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash betterpodcast. And visit us online at betterbranddesigner.com to learn more about our podcast and snag major discounts on our favorite resources. Special thanks to our producer, John, from Wayfair Recording Co. See you guys again next week.